Gracious God, thank you for bringing us safely to a new week, and we ask your blessing upon us as we study Hebrews chapter 11, that you would give us grace to comprehend what it means to live by faith, and that we would find strength from the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was set to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he had been told, it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings for the future on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful 
and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. All right. Thank you for that wonderful reading. So to say just a few words about Hebrews 11, we have spent so much time in Hebrews talking about how Jesus is superior to, and then you can fill in the blank, right? We started with Jesus being superior to angels, superior to Moses, superior to the law that was given at Sinai, how his priesthood was superior to that of the Levites. Right. And the whole point of this has not been to say that what came before was meaningless or not important. In fact, if anything, this chapter completely says how deeply important the story of the people of Israel is to this moment in time, but rather to kind of set up this world in which Jesus is the one who is making us perfect. That's how the chapter ends since God had provided something better so that they would not without us be made perfect. And, and this word perfect, we've said this before in the study, but you know we can't really say it enough. It's not about moral perfection and it's not individualistic and it's not tied to your behavior. So if I say, you know, if you think of an idea of what it means for you to be perfect, you probably think of yourself. You probably think of yourself in the present time and you think of yourself behaving in certain ways, making less mistakes. 
But that's not really what the word perfect means in the context of scripture. And it's the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The Greek word is telos, which is tied to the word ending or completion. Basically, this is a way of saying God is bringing your life to its perfect end or perfect completion, that there is a design in your life, that at your conception, there was a concept of who you were to be. Sin has diminished that and that a time will come when this, this complete being that God had in mind when he created you in his own image, when that is expressed the way that God intended. And that this whole journey that Hebrews has been talking about is about you being made perfect, being brought to your perfect end. And your perfect end is tied to a particular place. Verse 16, it's called a better country or a heavenly country. One verse later, it's called a city. And this city is the same as the new Jerusalem we hear about in Revelation chapter 21. And so to kind of go back to the beginning of Hebrews with all this business about faith, faith is that which enables us to go on this journey where Jesus is the captain and the author. I think we're going to experience that next week in Hebrews 12, when Jesus is said to be the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But that word pioneer is also author. It's a better translation. So Jesus is the author of this story, this journey, in which you are being brought to your perfect end, to your telos, to your completion. And our part of the equation is not to actually do all the work, but to be people of faith. And that's why Hebrews 11 is all about faith. And so think about Hebrews 1 through 10. We've already ruled out what we're not to be focused on, right? So the last couple chapters have all been about the sacrificial system and how much energy goes into sacrificing animals, for instance, to atone for our sins. The reason that the author of Hebrews spills so much ink saying you don't need to worry about that is because he's trying to clear up some mental and emotional and heart space for you to be concerned with what you need to be concerned about. And in Hebrews 11, what we are told is that what we need to be concerned about is leaning into this idea of faith. And faith, the Greek word is pistis. It means trust. It's a word tied to the heart and to action. It's not so much a word tied to believing mental concepts of who God is, right? So for instance, you might have certain beliefs about God that you can hold in your head without acting on them. That belief is important. It's part of our, our work, but it's not the faith we hear about in Hebrews 11. The faith we hear about in Hebrews 11 is about giving our life over to this journey setting out, as we hear in verse eight, without knowing where we are going, right? Abraham is the perfect exemplar of this journey. He sets out, but he doesn't know where he is going. And why is it so important that we not know where we are going ahead of time? It's because God knows where he is leading us, right? In the moment we think we know exactly where we're supposed to be going, we undermine the Spirit's work of bringing us to that destination that only God knows about. And so faith is that which enables us to live our life 
setting out, knowing that our life is being brought to its perfect end, but that God is the one who is the author and the architect of this journey, and that we're not really responsible for choosing the final destination and then figuring out how to get there. And behind this idea of setting out, not knowing where we're going, is this idea that behind everything we see are things that we do not see. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So basically, the idea here is that, you know, in our culture, the, the deepest reality, according to materialists, to, to kind of hard scientists, is matter. There is nothing more real than matter. Now, where matter came from, <laughs> you know, that's that's a different story, I suppose. I mean, I guess scientists would tell you there's energy behind that. But at some point, substance, something that we can measure or see or calculate is always going to be the deepest kernel of reality and the strict materialistic scientific worldview. But the, the, the Bible says, no, there is something unseen that holds everything we do see together. Uh, and that that unseen thing is that the very spirit of God. And so uh, in verse six, we're told that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I think the reason for this is that without faith, we're never gonna go on the journey. And we're never gonna go on the journey because what we do see, quite frankly, can be so overwhelming. Right, We look around and we see war, we see division, we see death, we see scarcity. I mean, you can you know, just watch the news. What do you see? You probably see a whole lot of bad news. Every once in a while, maybe there's a, a heartwarming good story sprinkled in. And so the question is, can we live our life trusting that there is something good that we do not see? that sustains our life, that sustains our journey, and that somehow is going to make sure that this project of the world and our life ends up okay. I like how St. Julian of Norwich puts it. She writes, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall end well. It's what all the mystics tell us, right? That behind all of the chaos and the pain and the trauma there is a deeper goodness that will bring it all to its perfect end. Uh, or I like the way that Josh put it in his Christ the King um, sermon, kind of referencing uh, the Narnia stories and how, you know, there was the magic of the white witch that killed Aslan, but there was the deeper magic that said whenever someone laid down their life on the stone tablet, death would start working backwards. Do we believe there's a deeper magic we don't see behind all the things we do see that cause us so much grief? And in order to kind of put us in touch with that reality, um, the author goes through what I just call the Hebrew Hall of Fame. We have all the great characters, all the ways they live by faith, uh, all the ways that God was at work in them. And the whole point of this is for us to draw inspiration from their journey and to locate us as part of a people, uh, to locate our life as part of a larger unfolding story. Um, this is something I think we need desperately in today's world. If you kind of ask your average secular person in their 20s, you know, who are you? Um, 
a lot of the way we work out identity in today's culture, it's very individualistic and it's very detached from any larger story. So just think about, you know, posting something on Instagram, which is, I'm not on Instagram, but, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with Instagram to be very clear about that. But, you know, you, you post a picture, you get a bunch of likes and you kind of craft an image and this is how you see yourself. But that image of who you are isn't rooted in centuries of people who have been on this journey together. And what the author of Hebrews wants to do is to remind us that we are part of a story that has been going on for thousands of years and that will one day culminate with a perfect ending so that we take our place in that story. And so in verse 13, they confess that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth for people who speak in this way, make it clear they're seeking a homeland. In a sense, I think the question is, are you going to cozy up and find a home only in this world, only with what you can see, only with the limited resources at your disposal, or are you willing to trust that there is a greater home you don't see that you are being drawn towards, that you are being um, that, that that your life is moving towards, and, and are you willing to be an ambassador for that better country? Are you willing for your life to be a vessel through whom love and generosity and faith spread to other people so that they get a taste of that country? Um, this means, according to verse twenty-five, sharing ill treatment. Um, now, this is uh, shared in the context of Moses's story about how Moses chose to share and the ill treatment uh, with his own people rather than enjoying the, the privileges of Egyptian royalty. But remember uh, this early Christian community to which Hebrews was addressed, to be a Christian was to share in ill treatment. This was a marginalized movement. Everyone was uh, an adult convert. It was much more popular probably to be part of the synagogue which is where many of them were tempted to go back to, or just to be a good old-fashioned pagan. Um, Christianity was not the religion of the empire. Uh, the Romans were suspicious of Christians. Uh, Jews thought that they were heretics, right? So to be a Christian was to share in ill treatment. Uh, and one of the questions I think that, that we can reflect on together is in what sense uh, does our journey with Jesus mean sharing and ill treatment? Now, uh, I thank God that we are not a persecuted band of people today. Um, that that would make life a lot harder than it already is uh, for, for all of us. Uh, but I do think there's the call to take up the cross and follow Jesus. And we can always look for the ways in which seeking the homeland that Hebrews speaks of means taking up our cross more here and now on um, on the earth. Uh, one other thing I just want to point uh, your attention to before we have a little conversation is a very important word in verse 35, and that word is the word others. And the reason I, I share this is because so much of Hebrews chapter 11 tells the story of these great people of faith who were told conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, 
who uh, quenched raging fires and shut the mouths of lions. In other words, people whose experience of faith was one of victory and strength and miracles. But then there were others. And, and that word others is so important because sometimes faith is about mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. And I, I think the question I would ask you to consider is when in your life have you felt like another? You know, when has faith been unbearably hard? When have you felt like you wanted to quit? When have you needed a lot of encouragement um, and thought that you couldn't put one foot in front of the other, right? Because Hebrews says, run with perseverance, the race set before you. And, you know, sometimes not only do we not feel up to running the race, but we don't even feel like getting out of bed. And so the question is, when have you felt like an other? And can you find in this list of people some solidarity uh, with people who also have had a hard journey? Now, I do understand that chances are you've never been threatened with stoning to death or being sawn in two or killed by the sword. Uh, and, and I thank God for that. But it's also good to be reminded that this is the experience of some Christians even today, and that many people find great, great comfort uh, in this chapter because they, they're, they're reminded that uh, for many people, this journey of Christianity has always been kind of hard. And so some uh, questions just to reflect on together. The author says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm really curious to know what that means to you. What is faith? And what does it mean to live by faith? And then another question just to reflect on together is, um, what lessons can we learn from those who have gone before us? I, I think that the author of Hebrews writes such a lengthy chapter about all these biblical heroes, all these biblical men and women, because he or she wants to encourage us. And so where have you been encouraged by either uh, the list of people offered today or, or probably more um, uh, accurately, people from your own life? You know, if you are writing this letter, who would you mention in your life uh, who offers you encouragement and encourages you to persevere?